and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. Should we talk about some alternative fibers today? Oh, for sure. We've had episodes about wool, different types of wool, breeds of sheep, all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. We did an episode about cotton. But what about other plant fibers that you can get yarn out of? You've got options, friends. (laughs) This week, we're talking about the three most common other plant fibers that you will find in yarn. We're going to talk about linen, bamboo, and hemp. I would say that both Jessica and I, because of where we live and how cold it is and all that kind of thing, primarily knit with wool. But there are lots of other things that you can make yarn out of. Let's jump right into linen. So linen fibers come from the flax plant. And the fibers from the stalks of this plant have been processed into textile fibers for thousands of years. You might be familiar with linen as woven fabric, linen shirts and pants and all sorts of fancy flowy garments. So there's that thing that fiber people do where they try to create a garment the whole way through that fiber's life cycle. So if they have the sheep, then they have the sheep or maybe they get a fleece. (laughs) And then they'll spin the yarn and dye the yarn and knit the yarn. And I've heard of people who do something very similar with like historical reenactment where they will grow or maybe buy, depending on their climate, the flax. And then they'll carry it all the way through to this woven fabric that they will sew a garment out of. (laughs) It's a really involved process, but it's definitely a plant fiber that you can process by hand and spin by hand. Linen is also, in addition to having deep historical roots in textile world, is a sustainable fiber. So flax plants grow really easily in a range of climates, and there's minimal use of fertilizers and pesticides involved in the growing of flax. So it's a good fiber choice for people who are interested in keeping the environmental impact of their fiber habits pretty low. Once flax fibers have been processed into linen yarn, there are distinct properties that as a knitter you might be interested in knowing about before you select it for a project. Linen is a really strong and smooth fiber, and it's got great moisture wicking properties, and it's quick drying. It's nice for warmer, maybe sweatier weather, where you're trying to keep your body temperature in a comfortable zone. It doesn't pill, which is lovely, which is fantastic. You can do wild things to it and it won't pill. And it ages really well. So not only is it not eventually turning into a bunch of pills, but it will get softer (laughs) and more comfortable. Yeah, washing and wearing your linen really makes a big difference. If you are the type of slow fashion knitter that also sews, you might have a lot of experience sewing with linen and appreciating how your garments get better with age. I think the last linen that we sold in the shop was a linen wool blend. And I have to say that knitting with it was not my favorite because it was still really stiff. Yeah, the linen and wool blend that we used to have in the shop, at one point we had a trunk show from that company. And there were garments that were made with it where touching the samples knit with that yarn was a completely different experience than touching the yarn in the skein or with working with it. It was very kind of drapey and relaxed once it was already knit up and finished and blocked. 
So sometimes it's hard to tell touching a skein and then trying to infer what that's going to translate into thinking of a knitted or even crocheted fabric. Just very different. What are some things that you should be aware of if you're thinking about getting yourself either a linen blend or full-on 100% linen to knit with? So the first thing to consider is that linen is inelastic. It's a very strong fiber and it has no bounce. So if you need that springiness in yarn when you're hand knitting things, you might consider looking at a linen that's blended with wool or alpaca or something to kind of give your hands a break if a really rigid fiber is not your best friend. It's also a heavy fiber. And when I say a heavy fiber, I mean like it actually weighs a lot, like it's dense. A lot of times when you find linen yarns, if they're 100% linen, it's going to be like maybe sport weight, but probably fingering or lace weight. You're going to be hard pressed to find a worsted weight or a bulky weight 100% linen. At that point, I think you're looking at rope. (laughs) (laughs) Which you could probably knit with. Sure, sure. But it'll be like very rigid. And if somebody knows of one and they love their worsted weight or bulky weight linen and it knits up beautifully into gorgeous garments, correct me. Let me know what it is because I'm not aware of any at this point in time. It's right there. At this time, we cannot get it for you. Because it's kind of stiff to work with before it's been washed and worn, it's not necessarily a great choice for very dense or heavily textured projects. You're maybe not going to enjoy knitting cables with it, for example, although maybe you would. Not like a fisherman's sweater? (laughs) No. Not my first choice for that kind of project. And you may or may not care about this at all, but just something to be aware of. It does wrinkle really easily. That's true of woven fabrics or knit fabrics. Because it's a rigid fiber, you're going to bend it and crease it, and it's going to want to hold that shape a little bit. I have very strong memories of the 80s when linen was popular, Mm -hmm. like popular in a different way than it is now. (laughs) Miami Vice popular. You'd see linen garments, and I can just remember my mom saying, linen wrinkles. Mm -hmm. It wrinkles. I know in the modern sewing handmade community, lots of sewists are like, yeah, it wrinkles and it's great and relaxed and comfy and exactly how I want it to look. So it very much comes down to your personal aesthetic and your feelings about wrinkles. I say, yeah, wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine with me. It's that cozy lived in look. So what sorts of things do you think would be good to use it for? Linen is kind of like your sleeper fiber for knitting for your home. Oh, if you want to knit hand towels or washcloths, it's a great option because it will withstand heavy use. It has like a secret quality that you may or may not be aware of, but linen is naturally antifungal and antibacterial. So for things that are going to be getting wet and like hanging around in your sink, that's a great property to have. This is like secret insider knowledge. That's right. (laughs) And I know lots of people who weave use linen for things like beautiful hand towels. Then if you have a weaving friend, you're always kind of secretly hoping, am I going to get the hand towels from this recent batch that they're (laughs) weaving? And if you're lucky, you will. And if you're into making things for your home, placemats are another excellent option. 
placemats may not have occurred to you, but they have like hot dishes on them or other things that you put out on your table and they will be a good option for withstanding that. It's not an overly precious fiber. So if you spill sauce from the pot on it, you can run it through the wash and it'll be in great shape later. You can also use linen for knitting summer weight tees and tanks. You want like an easy breezy top for sunny afternoons in the park or at the beach or wherever you spend your outside in the sunshine time? <laughs> Linen might be a nice option for you. And when you're choosing patterns, you might not regularly look for patterns that feature seaming. You might be a I don't sew kind of knitter, but this is a good opportunity to take advantage of patterns with seams because seaming will provide the structure that your linen is going to be lacking on its own. And with something like a tank top, it's not a whole lot of sewing. It should be manageable. That makes sense. Okay, so as another alternative fiber, what about bamboo? Bamboo's an interesting one. So when you think about bamboo, you think about plants. And we know that lots of things are made out of bamboo. Like you can get bamboo flooring. You might have a bamboo cutting board in your house. In order to turn bamboo fiber into knittable yarn, a lot of processing has to happen. So while bamboo fibers are plant fibers, bamboo yarn is actually considered a biosynthetic fiber much like rayon or viscose or modal, which are other plant-based fibers. And if you're not familiar with those terms, they're generally used in fabric world. So if you're not a sewist, you might not have a lot of experience with them. But those are also cellulosic fibers that have been heavily processed to turn them into textiles. But despite heavy processing, it's not a particularly environmentally damaging process, so it's still considered a sustainable fiber. Bamboo, the plant, grows really quickly without the use of fertilizers or pesticides, and fiber for turning bamboo into yarn can be harvested without killing the plants. The plants will continue to grow. Oh, nice. So it's a quickly renewable resource as well and will be biodegradable if you decide to compost your sweater that has lived its life. And <laughs> It's ready to move on. The way bamboo feels is going to depend really heavily on how it was processed. It could be kind of shiny and a little silky. It could feel like cotton. Overall, no matter how it's processed, it's going to be soft and smooth and it drapes really well because it is a plant fiber. It's also hypoallergenic and it's antibacterial. It's breathable and lightweight. And a lot like linen, it's really strong and durable and the color tends not to fade on it, which is great if you're knitting something that you care about the color of. Especially if it's like a summer weight thing and you're out in the sunshine a lot, <laughs> which sounds like a funny thing to say. I feel like we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how color fast our fibers are in general everyday knitwear. You put on your sweater and you go in the morning. But we think about it sometimes because we have samples of things that get put in the windows of our shop that experience lots of intense sunlight. And every once in a while, we take a look at them and we think, it's time to turn over the window because that sweater has faded on one side. <laughs> yeah, there'll be like a noticeable many shades difference between the front and the back. And it is kind of funny to think about. You don't notice it happening. Those UV rays are no joke, friends. So what are some things that you should be aware of if you want to knit with bamboo? Good question. Bamboo tends to lose its shape over time. So when you're thinking about knitting a garment with bamboo, 
think of it a little bit like you would think of a superwash wool. If you're knitting yourself a whole sweater out of superwash wool, you know that it's going to stretch and grow. It doesn't have quite the same bounce and elasticity that a non-treated wool does. Bamboo kind of does that too. Similar to cotton, where an all-cotton sweater will stretch and get long over time, and you're like, wow, did my arms get little? Or did my (laughs) sleeves get big? It's also not elastic at all. And while it's softer than something like linen, so you might think, hmm, I could make a variety of other things with this. Don't knit socks. Because... (laughs) Because if you recall our prior conversations about socks, you know that your socks need to have some negative ease to keep them on your feet. Well, if you knit a sock out of bamboo, 100% bamboo, with negative ease, you will never get your foot in there. (laughs) So I'm thinking about this. Mm -hmm. Your hair will stretch to like varying degrees. Wool has elasticity to it because it's made of hair. Yeah. But if you like stepped outside and you found a plant and you pulled on it, it's either not going to stretch or it's going to break. Yes. Yep, I think that's accurate for (laughs) for most plants. I don't know off the top of my head of anything that's real springy and bouncy. Yeah, if you walk up to a stalk of bamboo and you're like, be taller, it's not going to happen. No, no. (laughs) Okay. Plant fiber's not stretchy. If it grew on a mammal, you're probably in good shape. (laughs) Bamboo is susceptible to mildew, and getting it wet makes it a little more fragile. I was doing some reading about bamboo, and in lots of places, I was finding references to it losing its strength in water. What does that mean? It's not real clear to me. I've never had a knit bamboo thing that I've submerged in water repeatedly, so it's fuzzy to me. But I'm thinking maybe since it's prone to mildew and is not great in water, don't use the bamboo to knit your summer bathing suit. Because... (laughs) bad combination of not great attributes. (laughs) If you have like bamboo utensils, right, Mm -hmm. like a bamboo spatula or something that you use and you run it through the dishwasher a bunch or you do the thing where you fill up a bowl with water and then you put all your stuff to soak and then you wash it, it'll make it like swell and break. Bamboo doesn't do well with that. And so maybe it's the same thing. It's growing. Every time you water it, it grows. Oh, you and your creepy plants. (laughs) All right, so you're not knitting a bathing suit with it. Not this year, no. What would you suggest using it for? I think that bamboo is really well suited to things like lightweight shawls and wraps. I often see on ye olde Instagram knitters that live in southern climes who have these beautiful shawls. And I know that from talking to other yarn shop owners, a lot of southern shops have huge cohorts of shawl knitters. Yes. Because it's a great way to knit beautiful, amazing fabric that we all love creating without making a super hot garment. Some of us need that. Some of us definitely do not. So this is an opportunity for your bamboo yarn and bamboo blends to shine. It's also really nice for summer weight tops and kid and baby knits. Oh, I found lots and lots of recommendations for bamboo and bamboo blends for kid knits because it holds up well to being washed repeatedly. And despite the fact that it kind of grows, I think that kids grow too. I was just going to say, so does your baby. That's right. (laughs) Okay, the last alternative fiber that we're going to talk about today is hemp. Yeah. Hemp (laughs) is... (laughs) 
Hemp is a plant fiber derived from the stalks of cannabis sativa plants, which is sometimes referred to as industrial hemp. It is probably one of the less common plant fibers used in yarn for knitting, but it's been used in textiles for thousands of years, and it's strong and durable, so it's got lots of uses. People have historically used hemp for rope. Everyone knows hemp rope. It's possible that you have macrameed yourself a hemp necklace or bracelet at some point in your life. It's also used for twine. People make sandals with hemp. People make shrouds with hemp. You can make paper. There's all sorts of different options, and fabric and yarn are some of those options. As an option, hemp is really sustainable. Kind of like linen, it's processed really easily. You don't need fertilizers or pesticides to grow it. It's just overall low environmental impact, and it will biodegrade. So hemp is one of those fibers that's also really strong and durable. Plant fibers, A-plus for durability. It's a good insulator, which was a little surprising for me to learn, but hemp apparently is good at holding heat. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And unlike our friend bamboo, it is mildew-resistant, A-plus, and absorbent. Hemp fibers are also kind of similar to linen in that they don't pill and will soften with washing over time. So your initial fabric might be a little stiffer or more structured than you were dreaming of when you started a project. But with some wear and some washing, it kind of breaks those fibers in so that they relax. And they also take dye really well and are color fast. So you've got whatever vibrant color you've come up with when you've dyed the fiber, and it's going to stay. Nice. Some things to maybe be aware of if you're thinking about knitting with hemp. It can be really coarse. That's always the first thing I personally think of. So it'll be a little rough on your hands. You want to take care of your hands when you're working with it. It can be a little stiff like the other plant fibers. It's inelastic. It's heavy. And because it's kind of a rigid fiber, it's going to make the differences in tension between your stitches more visible. It's not self-adjusting as you go. It's going to kind of stay where you put it. So what would you recommend making with hemp? Hemp is a really good option for house things. Again, you can make market bags with hemp and they'll be really durable. You can like march out to your little farmer's market and pick up a melon or a bag of (laughs) potatoes or something and feel real fashionable and chic because you've knit your market bag or crocheted it. It's also another great fiber for things in your kitchen like placemats, trivets, things that are going to get lots of heavy use, but you want to still be easy to clean and be handmade by you. Slightly scrubby dishcloths? Mm-hmm. If you're going to use it for knits for yourself or someone else, you want to be looking for projects that are calling for looser gauge. You don't want to make really dense gauged fabrics because they're going to remain stiff. Having things at a looser gauge will allow the fabric to kind of drape and soften. Open lace patterns look pretty good in hemp because it will kind of keep those details, but also will spread so you can see the stitch definition. And working at a looser gauge will be easier on your hands. You're not like fighting with that rigid, immovable yarn. You've got big, open, loose stitches, and there's less tension against your fingers. And that means that when you block it, you will be able to even out some of your tension stuff. If you had tension stuff. We all have tension stuff. Who are we kidding? (laughs) If you want to make garments, 
rather than accessories and you want to use hemp, you might have better luck looking for hemp blends rather than 100% hemp fiber. And big picture, if you are looking to experiment with plant fibers and you're not generally a plant fiber person, there's some things that you can do to troubleshoot how differently cellulosic fibers behave compared to animal protein fibers. Right. Things like changing your needles. If you normally use bamboo needles, you might find that it's a little grabby. So maybe metal will work a little better for you. And this is all very personal hands, personal knitting style dependent. Like you're going to need to experiment to find what works best for you. But your stainless steel isn't going to be like, come back to me, fiber that came from me. Like <laughs> <laughs> They're not trying to become one. Right, right. You also might try experimenting with different yarn constructions. So a single ply in all plant fibers might feel too rigid for your hand's preferred working state. And if that's the case, you might look for plant fibers that have chainette construction, which, if you're not familiar with that term, if you've seen yarn that kind of looks like an I-cord, that's chainette. And the structure of that yarn has a little bounce built into it because of how the fibers are arranged. So that will give your otherwise rigid fibers a little bit of bounce and be easier on you as the knitter. I've often been hesitant to use chainette construction yarn because I thought that would be like overwhelmingly visible texture in your finished object, but it really isn't. We have Woolstock Jumbo, which is very different than this, that is chainette structure. And even at a huge scale, you don't notice it unless you like know to look for it in the finished object. And then the other thing you can do if you want to try out some different fibers is find a blend. Different combinations of different fibers might give you some of the things that you're looking for in a plant-based fiber without giving up some of the things you like about a protein-based fiber like wool, like elasticity, like bloom, like give when you're working with it, all that kind of stuff. You could keep it and still experiment with some of these alternative fibers. So those are just a few of the possible plant fibers other than cotton. There are a bunch more. There are so many. Basically, if it's ever grown out of the ground, someone has tried to make yarn out of it at some point. If you have favorites, you should let us know. We're always interested in what people are making, and we'd love to see and hear about what kinds of things you're making with your plant-based fibers this spring. So what's on your needles, Jessica? Okay. I had grand plans of telling you about some new cast-on project this week, and I'm not. <laughs> because I didn't. I am in a state of knitter paralysis right now. And by that, I mean I am struggling to identify what my next project will be. I'm very caught up in looking for my travel knitting for the Scotland trip. Yeah. And I'm feeling overwhelmed by choice and also my self-imposed restrictions in how much yarn I'm willing to take with me on a trip where I'm going to be acquiring yarn. <laughs> yeah. I have gotten to a point, though, in my Soric knitting where I have finally, finally knit through all of the yarn that I frogged out of the Lotta dress. <laughs> so all of this yarn has been knit once and frogged and knit again, and I have wound a new skein, and now it is forward motion. <laughs> Ugh, it's been a journey. But I have renewed enthusiasm for the endless tube of gray stockinette stitch. <laughs> Because it's new yarn, yeah. not the yarn that I've already knit. So that's where I am with that. Uh, is he all right? Where's he going? So that's what's happening right now. What's on your needles, Karen? 
okay, kind of nothing. And here's why. Why? I think I've mentioned a couple of times in previous episodes that I'm like working on these nebulous other things. Mm -hmm. Two of them got finished. (laughs) And it was really a big effort pushed to the end. So our store now has an app, which let me tell you, I didn't know how to build an app before. (laughs) Very much. We are all about learning by doing. And oh boy, a lot of focused computer time. And this one has been a year in the making. And if you follow the store on social media, you maybe already saw this, but we are officially a certified B Corporation. As of a few days ago. Yay! Which, again, it's a really valuable process. It's a really intense process. We learned a lot and grew as a company and as people in Mm -hmm. doing it. But oh boy, is it a lot of work. And the last little bit was surprise bunches of work at the last minute. We're super excited about it. And it ate all your knitting energy? It ate all of my knitting energy and all of my focus, all of my focus time. So Mm -hmm. I've been doing that instead of knitting, but now I'm back to knitting going forward. So I'll hopefully have something exciting to tell you about next week. Clean slate. Yep. Fresh project. (laughs) Yay. Are you ready for a letter? Mm Mm-hmm. I sure am. This week's letter comes from Sarah. Hi, Sarah. The question I have was inspired by your recent episode on sweater vocabulary. When talking about the body of a sweater, you mentioned you can shape if you want. I've been searching for a shaped sweater pattern for a long time. I don't want a potato sack of a sweater. I also don't want a drop under the armpits. I want that to fit nicely also. I never thought of creating my own shaping until you mentioned it. How would I go about determining where and how much to shape? Is this going to be a mathematical nightmare? Have either of you gone through the process? And can you share the details one needs to take into account? That's a great question, Sarah, because you can shape the body of your sweater if you want to was kind of a vague instruction in our sweater (laughs) episode. But really, it's kind of true. You can if you want to, or you cannot. So there are lots of sweater patterns out there that do have waist shaping built in. If you are looking on Ravelry for your patterns, I would suggest looking through, A, the pictures will give you information, pictures of projects, but if you look through the tags on the pattern pages or look through descriptions and project notes, you'll find information about that. Once you identify designers that have an aesthetic that you like, you will find that often if they have waist shaping in one pattern, they may have it in lots of other sweater patterns. Waist shaping is very much an aesthetic choice in design. And I can say that personally, I never add waist shaping to anything. And if I'm (laughs) going to alter a sweater, I'm probably going to crop it some. And that's because it's what I like aesthetically, and I'm very short-waisted. So knitting something with waist shaping just feels like a waste of shaping (laughs) because (laughs) there's not a lot of space to put it in on my particular body. Are you a waist shaper, Karen? Yes. And I actually find I often have to, because I have such a long torso, do my waist shaping in a different place than the pattern calls for. So what I will do if I'm either modifying it because the body is shorter than I usually knit, or if I'm adding it where it isn't usually there, I will do the first bit of waist shaping where you're like eliminating a couple of stitches Mm -hmm. somewhere a little under my lowest rib. 
ah, like that's where I'll start the waist shaping. And to do that, it depends a little bit, but the easiest way I think to add it in if it's not already there is you have your, I'm going to call them side seams. Mm -hmm. They're not probably seams, but maybe you have stitch markers or if you don't, you count from the center of the underarm and you just do a decrease one stitch away from where that stitch marker or that seam is. Do you do it on both sides of that seam? Yes. You'll eliminate two stitches and then you go a little bit lower depending. You know, you could do like 10 rows or an inch and a half, something like that, depending on your personal waist. And then do that again. And then I usually find that two rounds of those decreases, which is like four stitches total in each round, works for me most of the time. And then I will usually knit about four inches just straight, no changes, and then do kind of mirrored increases to get me back to the original stitch count. Awesome. And this is all very personal. Like you may be somebody who has a very narrow torso and very wide hips, in which case you may want more increases than you wanted decreases. Or you could be the other way around. You could have very narrow hips and then like a more triangular torso, Mm -hmm. in which case you might want more decreases than you want increases. Totally dependent on you. Yeah, if you're going to be inserting your own waist shaping into a sweater, measurements Mm -hmm. are so important. And we talked about this in the last episode where we were answering people's questions. If you need help, enlist a friend or your local yarn shop or whatever you need to do to get accurate measurements of your body, because if you're making changes to a pattern, you can't just guess unless you are inclined to knit, try on, and be ready to pull back and make changes based on that. But that seems like a tremendous amount of work that's avoidable. There are some very detailed, kind of math-oriented blog posts from knitwear designers about doing this thing specifically. And we are going to link to them in this week's show notes. But Andrea Rangel and Amy Herzog Both have written really excellent descriptions of things to consider when you're putting shaping into a sweater that doesn't currently exist there, where you want to take measurements on your body, and based on your gauge, how to determine the numbers of stitches that you'll need to decrease and then correspondingly increase, or vice versa if you're knitting bottom up instead of top down. But definitely check out the show notes and follow those links to get a more in-depth reading because it's a lot of math. Math, 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 math. But it's not complicated or overwhelming math. I just think it makes not very interesting listening math. Right. And much easier to visualize if you can look at how to take those measurements and notes and then plug them into equations. But it's definitely a doable thing you can make those alterations to your knits on your own. So when I was doing training as a Pilates teacher, we had to go through all of our manuals and cross out every reference to the belly button and talk about midway between hip and low rib. Ah, This is one of those things you never think about. People's belly buttons are all over the place. And I think people tend to assume, as I did until I had this experience with the manual, that where yours is, is where they go. Not true. They're all over the place. And often that is used as a landmark in these instructions for measuring. You just want to take a look and figure out where your narrowest point is. If you're trying to get a measurement, don't worry about where your belly button is in relation to that, because the person who is making those instructions could be wildly differently proportioned than you. 
That's a really good point. <laughs> my narrowest point of my waist is not really related to where my navel is located at all. Yes. Different parts of my body. So. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the stash down's still going on. It's shocking. This feels like the longest knit along ever. But it's not really. All of them go for like two months. I think I'm just overwhelmed by the number of projects you all are posting. Yes. It feels like it's going up for a long time because nobody's stopping. There's no, I finished it and now I'm moving on. It's stashing all the way down. So impressive. And we're so excited and proud of all of your creative solutions to using up the yarn that's just been haunting you in your house. <laughs> Finishing up works in progress, getting fancy and knitting tiny dogs and crocheting your first projects and doing all sorts of exciting things that maybe you had never thought about before. Y'all are motivated and it's beautiful. And you have time to keep posting. So it's March 22nd. There's like a week left of this stash down. That means you still have time to use up some more yarn. <laughs> I know that you have a sock in a project bag at the back of your closet that just needs the toe grafted. <laughs> Go find it and finish it. Stash down entry. Boom. You could win. I do really love how many of the stash down projects are finish that unfinished project. It's so good. And what a productive feeling to be like, I knit this thing. I almost finished it. And then I just couldn't face the last step. And it's been sitting there for so long. And now, instant gratification, you have a new finished project that you can wear or use or gift. It's amazing. This is like a yarn exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I think that might be it for us this week. It definitely is. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are available. You can also subscribe to us, probably where you're listening right now. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod, and you can go to our website, MakeGoodPod.com, for the show notes and the transcript. Big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Y'all are amazing. We love you. We are about to fill you up with so much Scotland amazing goodness in the coming weeks. But your support helps us to be able to do this every week without advertisers. So big sincere thank you. And you can send us questions to DearScratch at ScratchSupplyCo.com. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.